In this episode, Dr. Kashi discusses the centuries-long war on sugar, alcohol, and tobacco. He highlights the overwhelming evidence of these substances' effects on human health. Okay, well, overwhelming evidence for what? Roll the intro! Welcome to ah, Coffee with Cashy. This is a new series. This is a new series, okay? This, the, the course on self-esteem and self-respect will go along concurrently, but I will swapulate. I will swapulate between those to give you guys a bit of a break from the philosophy and the science, respectively. So just to be clear, this whole lesson is actually just a disclaimer of all my conflicts of interest, <laughs> essentially. Um... A little bit of a synopsis here. Sugar, alcohol, and tobacco have all really been taking serious hate for like the last 400 years. Just to be clear, people have hated things like, people have hated stuff for a long time. In this, stu- in this case, this stuff is again, like at least 400 years now. There is more evidence, again, substantiating the toxicity of alcohol and tobacco to human health and less evidence substantiating its benefits for human health. The evidence supporting sugar's role in human development and health is substantiated the world over. All right? Point one. Buckle up. <laughs> the hate on sugar is honestly poorly substantiated. It is magnified. It is dichotomized and otherwise divorced from science a lot of the time. And even, dare I say, common sense. Oh, dear. Um, the pluralistic ignorance surrounding things like sugar expedites obtuse government policy, further bolstering even more obtuse views on sugar by the general public, making them even riper for manipulation by charlatans, people profiting from those sorts of fear-mongering tactics and obtuse government policies. Policies and views that are embarrassing, embarrassingly, evenly, shamefully similar to the politics of alcohol about 100 years ago. There's a lot of... There's a lot of alignment there that we might be getting into, digging into a little bit. The anti-sugar sentiment by a lot of the lay population, uh, or anti-many things by the lay population, really, although annoying is the nature of the general public in the United States, so that's okay. The general public is allowed to be anti-stuff. That is what it appears they are there for, is just to be mad at things, so whatever. Uh, Sugar is just one of the many, although it is a popular flavor du jour, for justifying hatred and violence. As silly as that sounds, that is the case, and I'll explain why in a second. This is evidenced by the frequent and exhausting headlines, rhetoric, and and common conversations that anthropomorphize and globally rate. This is why it is relevant to our discussion of self-esteem. The anthropomorphize and globally rate sugar. Sugar is bad. Sugar is evil. Sugar is a villain. Sugar is a killer. Sugar is a drug, right? These are globally rating an otherwise... Consciousless entity is something that is taking action, and that is clearly philosophically and logically absurd, okay? Even going to war with it. Take yourself a Google. The war on sugar exists. If if that term is new to you, it has been around for at least the last 10 years, okay? People going to war on sugar. The war on sugar. The war on things. It's so American. And war is a literal recipe for a transfer of agency, in which this case... It's an abdication of responsibility to an entity rather than a person for otherwise rotten behavior and outcomes. All these problems, it is sugar's fault. Therefore, we go to war on sugar, okay? What does that create? It creates prejudice. 
bigotry and hatred, extremely relevant to the concurrent series going on, which is why I decided to connect them together. Okay, when you globally rate things, what do you do? You create prejudice. Is sugar there to defend itself? No, why? Because sugar's inert. <laughs> so putting any responsibility on sugar is philosophically and, is, and scientifically absurd on many levels. Again, we'll get into that stuff. I indeed, that's what is engendered though. The transfer of agency creates polarizing language and politics, prejudice, bigotry, and hatred between people and businesses and food items. It's all crazy. Uh, essentially, if you make sugar the enemy, then you can blame it for your problems and then make it sugar's problem to solve them. Good luck. Sugar has a very low IQ, mostly because it is completely deficient in a nervous system capable of making decisions, right? And then by extension, well, since that is obvious, sugar is, you know, brainless, in and of itself, you deem anybody connected to the enemy, in this case, sugar or junk food or whatever. Now it is their problem uh, by extension uh, and association with sugar. Thus, this war, largely on an inert substance, justifies the bigotry and hatred and extremism that comes conveniently as a side dish of war. In this case, the war on sugar justifies all this other nonsense. Public education or public neglect, as it were and these anti-sugar policies and sentiments. So this exposition, this series of lessons, uh, presents a smattering of arguments from varying fields showing the relative absurdity, distorted belief, and consequently obtuse public opinions and unfortunately policies surrounding the demon that is dietary sugar, okay? Mostly by, ironically, why is it a problem here? It ends up straining these policies, the most vulnerable populations with at the very most dubious health implications and at the very least, making them poorer, <laughs> okay? So the, it, it, that's it, that's essentially it, okay? All intelligent views on this are welcome and blatantly inflammatory commentary will get a swift kick in the tuchus. Sound fair enough? So make sure to leave your experiences and viewpoints in the comments, it'll get used. Your views fuel the lessons coming forth just as the sugar fueling your brain combusts, releasing the energy used to form the phosphate bonds. Your, biochem your biochemical pathways cash in to mash on your little keyboard with your furious thumbs. Okay, just remember, powered by sugar. That's where it comes from. <laughs> this lesson today is again focusing, just letting you know what's up and almost focused almost entirely focusing, I'm excited about this obviously, my biases so that you can take my opinions on these matters in the multiple contexts in which I hold them. Since I clearly hold biases, the following lesson is to, I guess, explain to you my top and thus cherry-picked reasons why my opinions are slanted. And of course, since this is about sugar, please take it with a grain of salt. So these are my slanted opinions as a father, as a biochemist and a physiologist, a national level athlete and trusted resources of Olympic and world level athletes, as a scholar, a philosopher of science and an educator, as a consultative resource for healthcare professionals, and as a founder of an organization devoted to rational and constructive methods of doing more than helping pe people feel better, but actually making them better, okay? So here are the background on those points. I hold multiple biochemistry degrees, one of which is a doctoral degree in biochemistry. My laboratory research started with non-small cell lung cancer, moved to the bioenergetics of, of vitamin K, eventually setting on more, settling on more biomedical consultation, industrial consultation, nutraceuticals, and dietary supplement formulation, where most currently I had a hand in developing a line of products at Prestige Labs. Check those out if you want, just letting you know that I am involved in that. I hold advanced certification awarded by the International Society of Sports Nutrition, I was head physiologist for four combat sports teams covering 300 plus athletes in Baku, Azerbaijan for the 2016 Olympic Games hosted in Brazil. 
my clinical education and supervised practice and otherwise consultative interaction in the clinical environment was spread, is spread between the realms of pediatric dietetics, which, you know, kids and sugar have something in common, diabetes mellitus or mellitus, depending on where you were from, type one and type two, which, you know, diabetes may have something to do with sugar and cancer, which may or may not have something to do with sugar. And again, some pre-surgical consultation, but that's more of a fun hobby, peri-surgical consultation rather. I'm a, I'm a doctoral member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and for years have provided and continue providing continuing education for fitness and healthcare professionals in the North America and in the North America and the UK, okay? Something worth noting about my obvious biases, getting a biochemistry degree or multiple degrees, especially becoming a doctoral level biochemist, has stringent requirements for understanding the, nature's, the nature of sugar's fundamental involvement in metabolism. So I am 100% brainwashed into learning about and integrating sugar's vital impact on human metabolism, okay? Aside from the fact that sugar's metabolism is covered to some degree in practically every course of biochemical overtones, there's a year-long curriculum dedicated to sugar's fundamental involvement in metabolism. You know what those are? It's called Biochemistry 1 and uh, Biochemistry 2. <laughs> there's also a year-long curriculum dedicated to sugar's tangential involvement in metabolism, and it's called Biochemistry 3 and Biochemistry 4. Okay, <laughs> in case you were wondering what those courses were called, they just happen to be the entire biochemistry curriculum, more or less, all right? So to be clear, I have been willingly brainwashed by the man himself, Nobel Prize winner in physiology and medicine, Hans Krebs, because he too thought sugar was important. You may have heard his name somewhere or something, something Krebs cycle, okay? Lastly, I am the founder of the so creatively titled Trevor Cash Nutrition, an organization wholly dedicated to using food and eating as a fulcrum a fulcrum to cultivate rational, flexible, healthful, and sustainable methods, leaning on the premise of lifestyle medicine for exacting effective and lasting changes to health and happiness. In other words, my entire livelihood and the livelihood of TCAN's entire team, which is now, gosh, like 15 people now, over the last 15 years, depends on proper and practical understanding of sugar's implications biochemically, physiologically, politically, and of course, most importantly, practically and pragmatically. What it really means functionally in your day-to-day -day life outside of all of this other garbage, okay? I do hold other potentially polarizing affiliations and certifications and positions and whatever else, but I think these are the most important ones for this politically charged topic. So yes, I am biased, and to some degree, I suppose I could profit from this ranting on sugar, maybe, kind of. Uh, if you have any ideas on how I could profit from this, please send them to trevorcashynutrition.com so I can send my daughter through a clinical education that will brainwash her into helping other people too. Much obliged. Oh, that also reminds me, since being paid off by Big Sugar seems to be so prevalent, uh, if Big Sugar is watching, all of the Big Sugars that are watching right now, please inquire at trevorcashynutrition.com so I can give you my address and you can give me my Big Sugar bribe post haste. That would be very sweet of you. <laughs> this lesson was kind of strange in that it was different from normal, right? This whole lesson was spent with a slight introduction to the topic and then a monologue of the points on how and why I would be biased about it with conflicts of interest. These are things that are important in the realm of science and business, especially and politics, especially when they're intertwined. Okay, so I hope that's okay. Thank you for your patience with this super epically long disclaimer. I think it's important to bring that stuff up. Since this is my entire life and has been my entire life, it's borderline integrated into my consciousness. 
So thank you for your patience, again, with this epic disclaimer. Here's a smattering of topics that you'll be learning about in this series. These are tentative, and as previously stated, your suggestions are 100% welcome. Blatantly inflammatory drivel will be treated as such. So some of the topics we'll be covering are rudimentary carbohydrate metabolism in the context in context and in normal language, of course, some bogus physiology, specifically around insulin and fat metabolism, uh, sugar very on, very early on in the human life, neonatal and pediatric implications, the damaging and inflammatory vagary of the language that's used in advertising and politics and regular conversations, fear-mongering and profiteering from the fear-mongering, and some historical viewpoints on sugar in the human life cycle, mostly in the context of the United States, because that is where I am most familiar, honestly. And the drastic implications of angry mob mentality and the obtusity of expedited cancel culture-based policy making. Okay. Again, further suggestions on topics are 100% welcome. Books on books are possible here. But just remember a few main points that although my background is highly technical and learning about neurophysiology and epigenetics and deranged metabolisms and all that stuff sounds all well and good, going through those technical details are either flat out boring or way more boringer than you will think they are, or if they're explained in plain language, make it seem like it's more open for argument than it really is. Also, cherry, cherry picking from inflammatory headlines, clipping ex abstracts from mouse models, links to blogs, or other poorly designed experiments will in all likelihood be ignored. If you have a viewpoint or experience, great. Leaking out to somebody else's viewpoint, well, let's just say I'm capable of using the Google machine too. Until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out!